co-hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. I'm thinking I might move to Denmark. Copenhagen seems like a great city. I was there last year. They call it the happiest place in the world. And judging by the people I met, I would say that's probably true. I love the food. They have some terrific restaurants. Noma is consistently ranked as one of the best in the world. And I always have to plug Alouette, which is owned by an American, Nick Curtin, and his lovely Danish wife. They just recently received their first Michelin star after only being opened a year. And it's a truly unique dining experience. So if you're ever in Copenhagen, go to Alouette. So good people, good food. And starting a couple of weeks ago, 0% mortgages. That's right. A bank in Denmark is offering a 20-year fixed rate loan that charges no interest. And if you want a 10-year loan, they'll pay you a half a percent. Well, you can imagine that real estate prices are probably going up. So Well, maybe it's not time to buy in Denmark. Maybe if you owned a house there, it's time to sell. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join us today. Don't forget to check us out at XMLFG.com. And if you have questions, you can always email us. It's podcast, which is plural, podcast at XMLFG.com or just give us a call, 301-770-5234. We've had a wild and wacky market, haven't we? Last week was the most volatile week of the year so far. But at the close on Friday, the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ, they were all down less than 1% from the week before. And we can assume that it's all the China noise that's causing the gyrations here. The administration didn't like the progress in the trade talks, so they slapped on an additional 10% tariffs on $300 billion in Chinese goods. And the Chinese said, oh, yeah, well, we're going to let our currency fall against the dollar. A weaker yuan could offset the impact of rising tariffs by making Chinese goods cheaper, U.S. exports more expensive. It's basically turning into an international slap battle. China needs a deal, in my opinion. Their economy is faltering. Revolts are breaking out. So it is possible that some sort of deal is reached before the new tariffs arrive, but I wouldn't bet the farm on it. My guess is any deal that comes along will be more watered down with the expectation that they keep working towards a more permanent deal. Our economy is on fairly solid ground which has given the market some support. But the sticky wicket here is business confidence. Business confidence is down because of trade concerns and the weak global growth might be impacting the U.S. You can see it in the manufacturing numbers, the ISM, which is the Institute of Supply Management. The July numbers showed manufacturing is near contraction levels, while the service sector which is the largest driver of our economy, is down four out of uh, the last five months to its lowest level in three years. And we know that the Fed just lowered rates a quarter point. and The market is pricing in at least one more cut this year. If that happens, if that happens, then it should support the market and the economy. In the last uh, 
as I said, this has been the most volatile week that we've seen so far this year. We've had an unusual swing in investor sentiment from excessive optimism to excessive pessimism. It's like someone just flipped a switch here. Investors have jumped into bonds like they were the new hot stock on the block. And when they do that, they've driven down yields. The more demand, the less yield that you can expect. So much so that the U.S. yield curve is the flattest it's been in over a decade. From a contrarian standpoint, that's kind of bullish for stocks. You buy stocks and you find more value in them when no one wants them. And to show you how dramatic a switch it's been, the most recent survey from the AAII, that's the American Association of Individual Investors, showed that the bullish camp dropped to 22% from 38% the week before. And the numbers of bears, well, it's doubled. It went from 24% to 48% in a week. And the more aggressive players, as measured by a report from the Association of Active Managers, the allocation to stocks went from 90% down to 57%. That's a huge drop. These numbers are pretty darn dramatic and will probably, in my opinion, lend some support to the market in the near term. For the long-term investors, which I hope you are, you should see some value start to pop up here. Last week, we talked about Apple, symbol AAPL. And I think that's a buy in the mid-190s. But how about Cisco, symbol CSCL? We haven't talked about them in a while. It's a good company. And they're going to be releasing earnings here in the next day or two. And Cisco's just been doing a fine job. If you use ValueLine, and I do, ValueLine gives them the highest marks that you can get for their balance sheet, uh, earnings predictability, and safety. As you probably know, Cisco makes all the internet gear, right? transporting all the data, the voice, the video around the world. So I don't think that their end markets are going away anytime soon. And they'll probably continue to grow at a pretty decent clip. So I think it's a well-run business with growing end markets. But what about the valuation? Cisco, again, symbol CSCO, is trading at about 52 as I speak, which doesn't look very cheap. But if I do a little digging here, I'll see that they have more than $8 a share in cash on their balance sheet, just lying around. They used it and they paid off all their debt, which isn't excessive. They'd still have about $4.5 in cash. The consensus estimates for next year are for Cisco to earn somewhere around $3.12 a share. And all this is a really long way of saying that Cisco is trading about 16 times next year's operating earnings net of debt, which is which I think is reasonable for this kind of steady performer. Yes, I always like to buy things cheaper. Who doesn't? Well, we may get a chance after earnings. Who knows? Another thing that I like about Cisco that uh, I didn't mention is that while I own it, I'm collecting a better than two and a half percent dividend. And that's pretty darn nice. I think Cisco is one that you can research, see if it's right for your portfolio. If I could, I'd like to buy it around $50. I think that's a good price for it. I like having those dividend pairs in my portfolio. If you think about it, on a long-term basis, the total return of a stock comes from three components, the dividend yield, the growth of the dividend, and then finally, the speculative part called the change in valuation. That's what's going to determine 
what you make on a stock. And there are numerous, numerous studies that use different time periods and methods for calculating the actual amount of return from the dividends. And they're going to vary, but almost all of them show that it's pretty darn significant. My point here is that dividends do matter over the long term. And if you really think about that formula and the fact that, hey, maybe dividends count for about half of uh, the total return over the long run, then you should focus on what's important in stock selection. And that is, number one, how much cash does a stock generate? In other words, the real earnings called free cash flow, because that's what they're able to pay the dividends from. And number two, how predictable are these cash flows? Let's, let's go back to number one for a second. How much free cash flow does a company generate? You can go to the company's annual report or their quarterly earnings report, and the internet makes it pretty darn easy. And once you have these documents, you can look at the consolidated statements of cash flow, and you need to understand how the numbers work on that statement. It's really pretty simple. You can do it yourself. In the consolidated statements of cash flow, if you do it right, you're going to see that over a three-year period, you're going to be able to find out how much free cash flow they're generating. And I would use a three-year average because one year, well, that can get distorted sometimes. But what I really want to focus on is how predictable are free cash flows. You have to use some common sense here. You're going to look into the future and try and determine what the level of free cash flow is going to be in five years. Now, a food type company is pretty easy. Take, for example, Pepsi. You got to figure that management is going to be reasonably intelligent enough to, to defend the brand name, and they will. So it isn't a heroic assumption to figure that free cash flow growth of, say, X percent a year because of population growth, plus increased efficiencies, maybe even gaining some market share from Coke and other snack makers. With a bank, it's pretty close to the same thing. Population growth, growth in savings, growth in the economy will translate into growing free cash flow. But with something like Tesla, well, you really have no idea. You really have no idea of what their cash flow is going to be in five years. So a focus on dividends and free cash flow, it's going to lead you to examine the balance sheet. High leverage can kill you, and it, or it can divert the cash flow towards debt service instead of paying a dividend. A focus on predictability will cause you to examine all kinds of fundamental factors. It's competitive ex uh, position. Is it a low-cost producer or a low-cost provider? How much do they spend on R&D and on and on? Another reason to focus on dividends is their spendability. You can actually count on them. It can help pay the bills. The stock market can take capital appreciation away from you in five minutes, but the dividend is already in your pocket and they can't take that back. I think high dividends tend to reduce the downside risk also, meaning it won't fall very far in a market decline. The stock market declines 20% and you have a, a really high quality company paying a well-covered dividend. Well, I would think people are going to be clamoring to buy those types of stocks in a volatile environment. Listen, we've run out of time, so let's wrap this up. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing.
listen to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.